The message you're about to hear has been made possible by the continued financial support of the friends and partners of Faith Hill. To find out more about how to become a partner, be sure to visit faithhill.tv. So excited about this morning. You know, we're going to be, last week, I think we all know, we started a brand new series. And that series was called, was really titled, Maximizing the Grace of Prosperity. And really this morning, we're going to be continuing from that series. But really, just as a just as a recap um, on, on, on the sermon and the foundation, really, that Pastor T laid for us last week. And, you know, if you didn't get a chance to watch um, the teaching last week, I want to encourage you, you know, to really check it out we've got all of our teachings on facebook on our youtube channel that's faithful church youtube channel our teachings are also available on spotify and then also on if you've got an apple phone um it's also available on the apple podcast so you want to check out that teaching because pastor t really laid a solid foundation um as we kicked off the series maximizing the grace of prosperity. So really just to, to recap on, 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 on what Pastor Tafar taught us, I think really, you know, the three things that really stood out for me that I want to share this morning. The first one that he shared was he said, prosperity is not just a good idea. Man, prosperity is a God idea. God's will for each and every single one of his children is to prosper. Not only did we learn that prosperity is a God idea, but we also learned last week that prosperity prosperity is a grace you know pastor tafara shared with us a scripture i believe it's second corinthians 8 verse 9 and the scripture says that jesus became so very poor so that we could become so very rich right so 2,000 years, we know when Jesus was on that cross, what's commonly known as the divine exchange took place. On the cross, Jesus not only became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, Jesus not only took on our pain, our sorrows, our griefs, and all of our sicknesses and our diseases so that we could take on his healing, we could take on his wholeness, we could take on his divine health, but we thank God. God, you know, the story really of salvation doesn't end there because according to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, Jesus on the cross, I like what the Amplified um, Translation says. It says Jesus became so very poor so that through his poverty, we might become so very rich. And so what we learn from that passage of scripture is that prosperity, our provision was also included in Christ's complete and finished work on the cross. Man, prosperity is a grace. And as with all grace and with, uh, you know, with all, um, you know, uh, graces and, 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 and provision that God has made for us, we access that grace of prosperity by faith. So giving really is our faith response, is our positive response that connects us to God's grace of prosperity. Man, this is so cool. You want to check out Pastor Tafara's teaching last week. It was fire. We also learned um, really in the teaching last week that, there, that there, ultimately there are three differing views on prosperity. You know, the first view that he shared is really what we call the worldview of prosperity. Now, this view, you know, it, it says, let me um, accumulate as much as I can 
for myself. Man, this view and, and people with this view, the world view to prosperity, I mean, they, they, they will steal, they'll kill, they'll destroy. You know, the number one reason why there's backstabbing in the marketplace is because people are so out for themselves. They're so out to accumulate as much as they can. They're so out to get as much as they can and then sit on that can, right? <laughs> and the second view to prosperity we learned was the religious view of prosperity. Now, this view tries to make it sound a little bit nicer. It might it tries to make the worldly view, you know, sound a little bit cuter. Um, you know, the, the religious view of prosperity says, I just want enough for myself and my four. I don't want any more from God. I'm not even going to be thinking about anyone else. I mean, how many of you know that that's not a godly view to prosperity? That's not the kingdom view of prosperity. The kingdom view of prosperity, the godly view of, to prosperity is, is what we shared last week in 2 Corinthians verse 9. Now, this view to prosperity says my motivation for abundance, my motivation for plenty is so that I can be a blessing to others. Man, the kingdom view of prosperity says I am blessed to be a blessing. The godly view to prosperity says I have plenty. The reason why I'm believing God for plenty is so that I can share with others. And so really this morning, we're going to be continuing in the same vein um, that, that Pastor Tafara started off. And we, we're really going to be segueing from from, from really that, right? The reason why we have plenty, the reason why God gives us plenty is so that we can share with others. And now I want to submit to you, church, that the primary way in which we can be a blessing to others with our plenty is really when we give to the financing of the preaching of the gospel. And I want to share with you um, a scripture, and that scripture is in Deuteronomy 8 verse 18. And the scripture really will, will really amplify what I've just submitted to you. And so Deuteronomy 8 verse 18, you know, this is God speaking. He says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And so really from this passage of scripture, we turn, learn two really key things. The first thing we learn is the scripture says God gives us the power to get wealth. Man, that word power really has several meanings. But one of the, word, one of the meanings of that word power is ability, divine ability. Man, God has given each and every single one of us as his children divine ability to get wealth man another another meaning really of that word uh power is anointing and on wednesday uh during the grace in the marketplace weekly we had ashley terides i mean he really taught such a powerful sermon but he taught uh, you know he shared with us one thing that for me for many years I really struggled to, to, to speak these words over myself, you know, because I really struggled to see myself as anointed. But he encouraged each and every single one of us to, to be continuously reminding ourselves. I mean, if we have to look in the mirror to say it, he says we need to be reminding ourselves that we are anointed. And so, child of God, this morning, I want to tell you, if you are a born-again child of God, if you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, you are anointed. Man, you are anointed to prosper. God has anointed you to get wealth. 
And another another thing I really want to share with you this morning, because I believe we've got so many creatives watching online. We've got creatives that watch, uh, you know, uh, internationally as well as all over Africa. But 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 here's the thing, creatives. God has given you creativity. I mean, God has given you some of your songs, books. God has given you, you know, really this uh, creativity to act in movies and big budget movies. Amen. <laughs> it's God who's given you that creativity to get wealth. Okay. And really another, 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 another word that, that is really encapsulated in that word power is divine relationships. God has given you divine connections. God has given each and every single one of us relationships. You know, there are people that God has given us for our lives. You know, there are people that God has for our lives that will help take us to higher levels of increase and supernatural prosperity. And so we see in Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 that God has given us the power to get wealth. Why is that God? Why have you given us the power to get wealth? Well, he answers this question really towards the end of, to end, towards the end of that verse. He says, that, so that he may establish his covenant, which he swore unto thy fathers as it is this day. And so really the reason why God has given us the power to get wealth it's so that we may establish his covenant. And right now we're in the dispensation of grace. So the covenant that really we fall under is the covenant of grace. In other words, the gospel. And so the reason why, the primary reason why God has given us the power to get wealth is so that we can give to the preaching of the gospel on this earth. Man, that's good. <laughs> that's so good news. And some of you are probably asking, why is this gospel? What, what's so, what's so important about the gospel? You know, that God has given us, you know, the power, the, the divine connections, the creativity, you know, the anointing to get wealth. Well, I'm going to answer that question because we see Paul saying something that's so powerful in the book of Romans. In fact, in Romans 1 verse uh, 16, you know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. You know, that scripture is so loaded, but I want to focus on really the word salvation. Because the scripture says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Now, now that word salvation, it means so much more, um, church, than, than, than being born again. It means so much more, you know, really than, than escaping hell. Okay. <laughs> that word salvation is the, the Greek word soterio, um, from which the root of that word soterio is actually the word sozo. And, and that word sozo, that word soterio, man, it's such a powerful word because really, it, it encapsulates and it refers to every single benefit that a believer is entitled to through Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. Now, I want to share with you some of, some of the meanings of the word soterio or sozo. Soterio means, it means preservation. Soterio means, means soundness. You know, it means deliverance. It means protection. Soterio also means healing. And, and I love this. Soterio, sozo. Sozo means prosperity. And so church, if people need healing, it's in the gospel. You know, if people need deliverance, if people need protection, it's in the gospel. And if, if people need prosperity, man, it's in the gospel. 
You know, the gospel is good news, church. In fact, the gospel, that word gospel means almost too good to be true news. Man, the gospel is almost too good to be true news because all of these benefits of our salvation are made available to us, not because of our performance. Not because of anything we deserved, but these benefits are available to us as children of God by simply believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Man, the gospel is powerful. The gospel will change lives. But here's the thing, right? The gospel won't do anyone any good if they don't know it. You see, the gospel, it needs to be heard and it needs to be believed for its power to be released, right? Um, there's a scripture also in the book of Romans. It's Romans 10. And I'm going to read verses 13 to 15. I'm going to read them in the New Living Translation. Romans 10, verse 13 to 15 in the New Living Translation. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And then it says, how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him. That's key, right? And then it says, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It says, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? And then the scripture concludes and says, that is why scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Man, Church, the most important thing that I ever discovered in my life was what Jesus did for me. And it was in the gospel. And I first heard the gospel in my 20s. And I heard the gospel for the very first time at a conference. And at this specific conference, there had been a visiting preacher. And he'd come, you know, from overseas. But how many of you know that for him to have come from overseas to be at that conference, you know, someone must have paid for his accommodation. Someone must have paid for his air ticket. You know, someone must have paid for, you know, even the conference venue itself. And I always personalize it. Someone must have paid for him to be there so that I could hear the gospel and so that I could learn how to receive everything that Jesus had died for me to have. And I'm forever, you know, really grateful for that, for those people. And, and I say all of this to really just say this one thing to you. You know, there is a lost and there is a dying world that's waiting to hear the gospel. You know, there are, there are people out there, you know, that are waiting for us as believers, for us as the church to begin to take the limits off of what God can do for us in the area of provision. You know, there are people out there that are waiting for us as a church, man, to stop with our debates about whether, you know, prosperity is a God idea, to stop with our debates over whether, you know, the church should be poor. They're just waiting for us to just take God at his word. They're waiting for us to believe God right now in these times for a greater harvest of finances than ever before. You know, I'm, I'm actually going to go a little bit further and say that, you know, I believe that we are in the last of last days. And in this last of last days, we as a church, we have a responsibility, church, to believe God for superfluous finances, you know, to believe God big, 
for a greater harvest of finances, not so that we can indulge on our every selfish lust, but so that church, we can be a blessing to others. We can share with others. And the number one way in which we can truly be a blessing to others is when we give to the financing of the preaching of the gospel. Amen and amen. So for those of you taking down notes, I want you to take down this, right? Godly prosperity is about making an impact. Godly prosperity is about making an impact. Come on, why don't you just type this in the comment section, okay? Kingdom prosperity is a means to make a difference in our communities and to see cities and nations transformed how through the preaching of the gospel man that's so good i'm so excited to be here you know i'm not used to preaching sitting down so this is you know i'm really exercising a lot of control self control i just feel like getting up and shouting hallelujah but man we we get to do this and i'm so excited but today i want to talk to you really about partnership and really i want to talk to you about the power of being a partner with God in the preaching of the gospel. Man, I want to talk to you about partnership because partnership outside of, you know, um, tithing, uh, you know, that, that we, we, you know, we give to our, to our local church and, and our offerings that we, we really give to our local churches. Partnership is, is one of those avenues where we can activate our faith and begin to connect to God's grace of prosperity. Man, partnership is powerful. And I believe it's really one of the most important things that a believer needs to understand if you, we are to have a revival in our finances. Okay. So the best place to start really when it comes to studying about partnership is to go to the book of Philippians. So we're going to go to the book of Philippians and we're going to start in Philippians one, and we're going to read verses three to four in the amplified classic. Now the, really the theme of the book of Philippians is, is really partnership. And I always say, if they, if they hadn't named it Philippians, they would have named this book uh, the letter to partners. Because really, Paul in the book of Philippians was specifically writing a letter to his partners. Okay, so let us go quickly to Philippians 1. And we're going to read verses 3 to 4 in the Amplified Classic. I just want to warn you, today we're going to be doing a little bit of a Bible study, okay? So I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so already, go get your Bibles, get your notebooks. We're going to be looking at these scriptures and studying them. We're going to be doing a really cool Bible study, okay? And the Bible st study is really starting in Philippians 1. And we're going to read verses 3 to 5 in the Amplified Classic, right? And so Paul speaking, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In every prayer of mine, I always make entreaty and petition for you all with joy. And in brackets, the Amplify says delight. Man, Paul, Paul rejoiced every time he thought about the Philippians. And Paul was excited to be writing to his partners. Now, what's so interesting and, and what's so unique and peculiar um, about the book of Philippians is that that word joy is actually mentioned 17 times in this book alone. Because really, Paul had such a great delight um, in his partners. And, and then he continues and he says, I thank my God for your fellowship. Now, that word fellowship is really the Greek word kononia. And I, why, why I'm reading this scripture to you in the, in the Amplified Classic translation is because the Amplified Classic really begins to dis define 
what that word fellowship, what that word koinonia means. The Amplified um, Classic says, fellowship means your sympathetic, excuse me, cooperation and contributions, and, and get this, it says, and partnership. Well, partnership in what? Partnership in advancing the good news, the gospel, from the first day you heard it until now. And so really what we, what we establish in, in Philippians 1 and these passages of scripture that we just read is that the Philippians were Paul's partners. I mean, the Philippians, they had been consistently partnering with Paul in the spreading of the gospel. In fact, Paul really, um, you know, really um, exhorts them and he says, you know, you've been partnering with me really from the first day that you heard the gospel right until now right until i'm writing this letter okay and so let's let's go um let's skip a few chapters and go to philippians 4 um and we're going to read from verse 15 really to see what this partnership looked like okay so let's go to philippians 4 and we're going to read verses 15 to 19 um in the amplified classic translation Okay, starting in verse 15, Paul continues writing his letter to the Philippians and he says, and you Philippians yourselves well know that in the early days of the gospel where I left Macedonia, he says, no church assembly entered into partnership with me and opened up a debit and credit account in giving and receiving except you only. And so Paul begins his um really his, his, well, this thought um, in Philippians 4 verse 15 by saying to the Philippians that, you know, no other church had entered into a partnership with him since the very beginning of, the, of his ministry except the f church at Philippi. And then I love um, Philippians 4 verse 15 so much because Paul then begins to define partnership and he defines partnership as opening up a debit and credit account in giving and receiving. Now, for those of you who've done accounting or those of you who know about accounting, maybe although those of you who, who, who just have heard about accounting, let's put it that way, right? But if you've heard about accounting, there's a, there's a rule called the rule of double entry. And really what the rule of double entry says, it says this, it says for every unit of debit, there must be a corresponding unit of credit for the books to balance. And so the church at Philippi, um, we learn in, in this passage of scripture that the church at Philippi had opened a debit and credit account because really the principle is this church. When you give to the kingdom of God, when you give to the, to the preaching of the gospel, what you give, in other words, what's debited from your account, man, it's never lost, okay? I'm going to say this again because, you know, when I heard this, it so profoundly changed my life. When you give to the kingdom of God, when you give to the preaching of the gospel, what you give, in other words, what's debited from your spiritual account, it's never lost. You know, in fact, it's given back to you. And I love what Luke 6.38 says. It's given back to you. How? In good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. It's given back to you as that is the harvest that's given back to you. And, and what I love so much about God's system of accounting is that even with this running over harvest, 
man, the books still balance. <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. Um, Paul carries on in Philippians 4 verse 16. And he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent me contributions for my needs, not only once, but a second time. In other words, what Paul was really saying was there was a consistency in, in, the, in the church at Philippi's partnership. You know, that wasn't just a, a one-time deal of, you know, just, you know, giving when they were excited and you know, experiencing some goosebump moment. Uh-uh. The church at Philippi, the Philippians, Paul's partners, they were generous at a heart level. And they had made partnering with God um, in the preaching of the gospel. Really, they'd made this a lifestyle. And so Paul continues. And I love this. I really love this scripture. He says, not that I seek Oh, I'm eager for your gift. Man, Paul is saying it's not about your gift. He says, what I'm seeking and what I'm eager for is the fruit which increases to your credit. And Amplified says the harvest of blessing that's accumulating to your account. You know, Pastor Tafara and I always say, and I think we've always made, we, we, we sat down and we made this commitment. That even if the, the, if the faithful church was to have one billion U.S. dollars in our account, thank you, Jesus. But even if we were to have one billion U.S. dollars in our account, we're not going to stop taking an offering. Because really, taking an offering is not about the gift, church. It's not about the gift, but really what it's about. The reason why we take an offering, the reason why we will never stop taking an offering is because it's about the fruit. It's about the harvest that increases to your heavenly account as you give. And then Paul says in verse 18, he says, but I have your full payment and more. I have everything I need and I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Ep Epaphroditus, I always get that wrong, so I'm going to say, I actually got it right today. Well, now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent me, they are the fragrant odor of an offering and sacrifice, which God welcomes and in which he delights. And then verse 19, he says, and my God and my God will liberally supply, fill to the full your every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Man, I want to stop there at verse 19 because verse 19 is interesting. Verse 19, and people, people love to quote verse 19 in isolation. I mean, they, they love to come from nowhere and say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. But they're saying this without recognizing three things. You know, the first thing that I want to submit to you is that this verse, it doesn't apply to everyone. And I'm going to show you why a little bit later. But the second thing people don't realize is the sentence, verse 19, it actually starts with the word and. Now we learn from primary school that and is, is, is a conjunction. And a conjunction is really um, a word that joins two ideas. It's a word that joins two thoughts, two word, two, 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 two phrases uh, or, 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 or thoughts of ideas together. And one thing that my daughter reminded me this week, because it's interesting, they're learning in grade two about conjunctions. But one thing she, she reminded me again this week, because, you know, we're, we're back at involuntary homeschool. <laughs> and I really got to say, if you're a school teacher, I have such a high respect for what you do, man. If you've got a school teacher in your home, give her a high five. Give her a love. Come on, tell a school teacher that she rocks. We love her. We love school teachers, okay? I'm, getting, I'm going on a little bit of a detour, but... 
I'm, I'm my daughter's school teacher for now because we're doing homeschooling, okay? In, involuntary homeschooling. But my daughter reminded me that you can never start a sentence with the word and. You can never start a sentence with the word, with a with, with conjunction. And so really what we see is verse 19, it's actually, it's actually an incomplete sentence. And, it, and it really it needs to be read in context to what was being discussed in the early verses for, for the sentence to be complete, okay? And the third thing that people don't realize when they come from the middle of nowhere and begin to quote verse 19 is that the, the story or the train of thought that was concluded in verse 19 it actually started in verse 15, okay? And so we learned in, in, in Philippians 4 verse 15 that the Philippians, they were partners, right? And what did that partnership look like? Well, the Philippians had entered into a partnership with Paul by opening up both a debit and credit account in giving and both receiving, right? So with this context in mind, with this context, we can read verse 19. When you have understood the power of partnership, when you yourself have entered into partnership by how? Opening up a debit and credit account in both giving and receiving by faith, then yes, as a partner, we can confidently stand on the promise in verse 19 that Paul's God, the same God who supernaturally provided for Paul, God, our God, shall supply all our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Man, you can't just show up from nowhere. And, and, and claim this verse. You can't just show up, Pastor T always says, from Matlatini and say, God will supply all your needs. You know, you know what it's like doing? It's like, it's, it's like rocking up in a bank, right? You're rocking up in a bank, you walk to the teller and you ask to, to withdraw some money, okay? When you don't even have an account with that bank, when you haven't even made a deposit of cash, of money into that bank. You know, I, I, I work for a bank and I'm going to tell you exactly what that teller is going to do. That teller is going to look you in the eye and they're going to march you out the doors. Okay. You're not going to get anything. <laughs> okay. Because as partners, as givers, when you've opened up a debit and credit account in both giving and receivers, then yes, God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You know, I, I, um, when I was doing a bit of a study around, around specifically Philippians 4 verse 7, 4 verse 19, um, you know, I, I, did, I, I love just doing a little bit of a word study on, on specific words so that I can really get the, the full meaning of, of, of words and the full meaning of a verse, right? So, so really the question I began to ask myself when I was studying Philippians 4, 4 verse 19 is, what does the Bible really mean when it says that God will supply all my needs? And, 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 the, and, and the way we really get an, an understanding of what the, the Bible really means in this context is really to study that word supply. And so I looked up that word supply. That word supply is really the Greek word plero, spelled P-L-E-R-O-O. -O. Now, plero is such a loaded word, and it's really actually used all over in the New Testament. But, but plero, plero means to fill. Plero means to make full. Plero also means to make up a deficiency or to completely and to totally supply. That word plero, you know, it gives the idea of, of really filling up something so totally, so completely that it does not have any more capacity to hold anything else because it's just so absolutely 
full. And if you were to use that Greek word plero, you see, I'm getting so excited, you know. I'm not used to the sitting down, but I'm getting so excited. Because that plero, word plero, when I've discovered what that word plero did, man, it excited me. But that word plero, if we were to use that word, that Greek word plero, and if we were to use plero to, to really represent a, a glass of water, it would mean that that glass of water, you know, that glass of water is so filled to the brim with water. It's now even overflowing. That glass of water is so filled, it's so overflowing that it has no more room even for one more drop of water. <laughs> Man, that glass of water is completely filled. It's completely packed. It's overflowing. It's spilling over. And that is how abundantly God wants to supply the needs of his partners. And I love Philippians 4 verse 19 because it says he will abundantly supply our needs as partners according to his riches in glory. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. You know, God um, supplies our needs according to his riches. Now that word riches again is a very interesting word. That word riches is the Greek word plotus. Okay, that's P-L-O-U-T-O-S. Now plotus. Oh man, it's an awesome word. It describes immense wealth. It describes riches beyond imagination. Now it's where really we get the word plutocrat, <laughs> right? Which describes a person who possesses riches so immense that they're seemingly immeasurable. And so really what we can establish here is God is the original plutocrat. Hallelujah. God knows no lack. God knows no insufficiencies. God doesn't have any kind of shortage in heaven. There's no shortage in glory. God will abundantly supply all of our needs according to his unlimited, his immeasurable riches in glory. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Man, partnership is a powerful principle. And really, as we begin to partner with the preaching of the gospel, man, God will begin to do tremendous things in our lives. God will begin to meet our needs supernatural, supernaturally, and he'll use us to meet the needs of others. Man, God will begin to bring such a transformation to our finances in ways that we have never imagined. And I know I'm being told my time is running out. So I want us to look at um, one more, well, maybe second last scripture. And that's in uh, Matthew 10. We're going to read verses 5 to 13 in the Amplified, uh, in the Amplified uh, Bible, the original Amplified Bible. Now, we, we, we want to study a little bit more about the power of partnership, right? And so just as a preview to those scriptures, to that's Matthew 10, verses 5 to 13 in the original Amplified. Just a bit of a preview. What was happening here? is Jesus was sending out his disciples. And he was sending out his disciples to minister, really to the nation of Israel, to the Jews. And so we begin to see Jesus give the disciples some very specific instructions, okay? And so starting at verse 5, it says, Jesus sent out these disciples, instructing them, do not go among the Gentiles, and do not go into the city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, heal the sick. Come on, heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Amen. Freely you have received. Freely give. Then Jesus begins to say something very peculiar in verses 9 to 10. He says, do not take gold or silver or copper money in your money belt or provision bag for your journey or even two tunics 
or sandals or stuff for the worker deserves his support. You know, when I first read this passage of scripture, my mind, my mind literally tilted. Because I remember thinking to myself, what's your game plan, Jesus? Because if the disciples are not to take any money or any provision, how are they supposed to live on a day-to-day? You know, and I remember really, guys, sitting there reading these scriptures. And I mean, I I was thinking, you know, surely these disciples, you know, they had money, right? Because he says they had gold, silver, they had copper. I mean, if he, he, he wouldn't have said this if they didn't have money, right? Okay. But surely the disciples could have taken their gold, their silver, their copper, Surely they could have, you know, checked themselves into into a hotel, into, you know, the local local holiday inn, right? They could have used the money, you know, to take care of themselves. And, and of course, while they're at it, buy some nice shoes, right? <laughs> they could have done all of this, taking care of themselves and still preach the gospel. But then as I carried on reading the passage of scriptures that, you know, followed followed these scriptures, I realized that Jesus had a much better plan. And he begins to spell this plan out. In verse 11, he says, whatever city or village you enter, he says, ask who in it is worthy, who welcomes you in your message and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you go in that house, give it your greeting. That is peace be to this house. If the family living in the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. That is blessing of well-being and prosperity, the favor of God. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. And so what we see in this passage of scripture was that Jesus's game plan for preaching the gospel was partnership. You know, he, he didn't want the disciples to take anything for their provision because he wanted to bless the people who would be supporting them and supporting their message. He says to his disciples, let's look at that. He says, when you get into the city, search for people who are worthy. Now, when I first read these passages of scriptures, I actually read it in the King James Version. And, and I remember asking myself, what, what qualifies someone as being worthy? And so the reason why I actually read these passages of scripture to you in the Amplified is because the Amplified actually defines and describes what, what worthy means in this context. And so it says worthy means look for someone who welcomes not only you, but also welcomes your message. In other words, what Jesus was telling the disciples is he was saying, if the family in that house, you know, that, 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 uh, that, um, that, that receive you open up their world and they open up the resources to the preaching of the gospel, he says, go and stay in that house and pronounce a blessing. Man, this is what partnership is about. You know, really, God, let, let's not be deceived. You know, God could have done it by himself. You know, God, God is more than capable of preaching the gospel all by himself. If he could use a donkey to get a message to a prophet, God can most certainly ensure that the gospel is preached on this earth. But church, God has a much better plan. And that plan is to preach the gospel with us. That plan is to partner with his people in the preaching of the gospel so that when they partner with the preaching of the gospel, the grace of partnership begins to flow in their lives. Now, let's see quickly as we end. Let's see how the story, um, how the story really ends. And we're going to go to Matthew 10. We're going to read verses 40 to 41 in the Amplified, the original Amplified Bible. It says, he who receives and welcomes me and he who receives me receives him who sent me. 
It says, he who receives and welcomes a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man because he's a righteous, a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. I, I really love this, uh, these passages of scripture because what it begins to highlight is, is alt honor or, or, or culture of honor is really also involved in partnership. I mean, really what Jesus is saying is, he's saying, go to people, stay in their homes. If they receive you, if they recognize and perceive the gift that I have given you, the gift that is on your life, then they can access what Jesus calls a prophet's reward. Now, prophet's reward is really simply the gift or grace that is available um, when, in partnership. And here I've got to mention, you know, Jesus is not, not just talking about welcoming prophets. The, the point really that Jesus is making in Matthew 10 verses 41 to 40 is, is he's making a, 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 the point he's making is really about the importance of cultivating a culture of honor and having the ability to perceive the gift, the people, the ministries, the church that God has sent to minister to you. And when you perceive the gift, when you recognize the gift, honoring it, honoring the ministers of the gospel, honoring the people that God has sent to minister to you and through your partnership, enabling them to do what God has graced them to do in order to preach the gospel. And through then our partnership, what we do is we connect to the same grace that God has made available to them. Man, simply put, and again, as we, as we round up, man, time flies when we're having fun. You know, Pastor Tavares is telling me two minutes, two minutes, and I'm not even done yet. But anyway, really, um, you know, to really just conclude those passages of scripture, really what Jesus is saying is he's saying there is a reward for partnering with God in the preaching of the gospel man and really i just want to close with with first corinthians and i'm going to read um verse one uh, chapter one verses four to seven in the nlt okay let's be closing now <laughs> that's first corinthians one verses four to seven in the nlt so paul we see paul here writing a letter to to the corinthians and he starts off and he says i always thank my god for you for the gracious gifts you have given, you know, he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus through him. God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. He says, now you have received every spiritual gift you need as, as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is saying the church of Corinth, man, God had enriched them in every way imaginable. I mean, here was a church, you know, on every, every day they were abounding in spiritual gifts, man. There was a word of wisdom, word of knowledge. There was gifts of healing, working of miracles. I mean, they were, oh, the gifts of the, of the spirit were in full manifestation in this church. They were enriched in every way. Yet, Paul says something really profound to and about this very same church in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 13. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified Classic as I close, <laughs> Second Corinthians 12, verse 13 in the Amplified Classic. And this is an awesome verse on partnership. Paul speaking to the very, very same church that he'd been speaking to in First Corinthians 1, verses 4 to 7. He begins to say in Second Corinthians 12, verse 13 in the Amplified Classic. He says, for in what respect were you put to disadvantage in comparison with the rest of the churches? Man, 
you know, like when I read this, I said, man, Paul, what you're talking about, Paul? Didn't you just say the very same church in 1 Corinthians had been enriched in every way? I mean, didn't you just say, you know, they were just flowing in, in such supernatural uh, uh, gifts of the Spirit? How could they possibly be put to an advantage? How could they possibly be behind other churches? Well, let's read this verse to see how, because Paul begins to tell us. He says, unless it was for the fact that I myself did not burden you with my financial support. And so the, the, Paul begins to say the reason why the church at Corinth was put at a disadvantage is because Paul had not given this specific church an opportunity to partner with him financially in the preaching of the gospel. You see, unlike the disciples in the scriptures that we just read in Matthew 10, you know, who Jesus had instructed not to take any, any money with them, any, any provision with them. Paul, in this same passage of scripture, what he'd done is he'd used his own money to support himself during the time that he was ministering specifically to the church at Corinth. Man, he then goes on and he says something that's truly mind-blowing. He says to them, pardon me for doing you this injustice. Man, <laughs> Paul asks for forgiveness for not taking an offering. <laughs> You know, in these days, people get excited when they go to a church that does not take up an offering. Man, it's sad to say. People even get, get happy. They celebrate the fact that all their money, all the money to support the local church is coming from foreign missionaries. When the truth of the matter is really that they are being deprived of an opportunity to partner and they're being deprived of the benefits that come with partnership. You know, I'm going to share what Paul says in other versions. In the NLT, Paul says, please forgive me for this wrong. In the GNT, he says, please forgive me for being so unfair. And I love what it says in the message translation because, you know, the message translation just tells it like it is. Paul says, well, I'm sorry. Forgive me for depriving you. You see what Paul understood then? And really, church, what we need to, to understand now is that it is an injustice when we are not given an opportunity to connect to the grace that is available to us through partnership. In fact, I'll go as far as to say it is wrong and it is unfair when we are not invited to participate in the financing of the preaching of the gospel. Man, God's modus operandi for the preaching of the gospel is partnership. God is looking for partners. God is looking for distribution centers. And as you step out in partnership, and here I've got to say, start where you are. Okay, you know, I, I remember years ago, years ago, I was a, an analyst in the bank. And I always say this, you know, they always there's a saying that says, you know, I'm rising up the corporate ladder. Well, analysts, analysts aren't even on the corporate ladder. That's how badly paid they are. But when I was an analyst, I caught a hold of this revelation on partnership. And I, I decided that I was going to start partnering. I was going to start where I was. Church, I started partnership at 40 rands a month. But I did this consistently with an international ministry that was doing much bigger, much, much larger things and was really ministering to the gospel, ministering the gospel all over the world. 
And so really over the years, what we've seen is we've seen God give us such an abundance through partnership that not only now are we giving integer multiples of that 40 rands that I was giving to the same minister. We give, we're now giving 40 integer multiples of that 40, 40 rands. And also God has given us such an abundance that now we're able to support about three, four other ministries who are doing big things all over the world, man. So I want to encourage you this morning, really, as you step out in faith, um, in your giving towards the preaching of the gospel, as you connect to, to the grace of partnership, man, God will, God will supernaturally take care of your needs. God will supernaturally provide for you, not according to your economy, man, not according even to your job grade or title, not according to your bank account, but according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Man, that's it from me. We're out of time. You know, we're going to, why don't we bow our heads in prayer as we just, as we just pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your word. Father, we thank you so much that prosperity is a grace. We thank you, Father, that your will for us is to prosper, not so that we can indulge on our every selfish lust, but so that we can be a blessing, so that we can share with others our plenty. And Father, we thank you that the number one way, the primary way in which we can be a blessing to others is when we give to the preaching of the gospel. And so, Father, we thank you right now that really and we know some of us are partners and some of us really are making a choice this morning father i thank you for showing them the ministries um, that they need to be partner with father i thank you that even right now you're giving seed to them as they make a commitment to be a sower you're giving seed because you say in your word that you give seed to the sower thank you father for seed and as they sow their um you know as, as they sow as they partner father we thank you for good measure pressed down shaken together and running over harvest that you shall give them father we thank you that you supply all of our needs not according to the world's economy not according even to our bank account but according to your riches in glory by christ jesus in jesus name we pray and we all say amen and amen and amen well we love you man we we can't wait until we get to be together again enjoy your sunday god bless bye-bye we hope this message has been a blessing to you thank you for listening to find out more about how you can become a partner, visit faithhill.tv today.